The Catholics of Oz is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 74 of The Catholics of Oz. The Catholics of Oz is a show where we discuss faith, culture, and what's been happening from an Aussie perspective. Whether it's synods or science, apostolates and apps, providence or productivity, you can hear it right now on The Catholics of Oz. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of The Catholics of Oz. So great to have you with us today. And I'm, uh, I'm your host, Lindsay Sand of the show. I should start with that. And I'm joined today by my lovely sister, Caroline Knight. Caroline, how are you today? I'm pretty well, Lindsay. How are you? Good. I, I like our Saturday morning catch-ups every fortnight to it is nice. say hello and record a podcast. And- yes. Talk about trash TV before we start recording and oh, everything else. I did not want to hear that conversation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll move past that very quickly. Yeah, but you're doing well? Yes, pretty well, thank you. I'm enjoying the sunshine coming through the window, so it always makes me happy. Yes, yeah, let's enjoy it while we can because it's yeah. certainly getting more autumny now, is it? Or fall, as they might say in other parts yes, of the world. Yes, it is, which is also yeah. a nice time of the year. Yeah. Great. And uh, also joining us is Lino Sabol, our good friend, our good co-host. How are you going, my friend? I'm doing well, guys. Yes. Long weekend for us in Australia. Uh, Victoria, is it just Victoria, isn't it? Or New uh, South Wales? I, 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 get, oh, no, I, actually, no, I get confused, guys. Sorry. Yeah. Might be a Melbourne I, holiday. Melbourne yeah. holiday, because we've got Moomba. Yeah. Oh, and oh, sorry, for the guys who are listening, Moomba is for us like a festival of a lot of things. Do they still things. have Moomba? Does that we're, exist? We're, we're coming back. It's I come back. I feel ashamed to say that, but I just don't yeah. remember it happening It has for been um, cancelled a few, of course. Of co- yeah. Of, yeah, so COVID. Because yeah. of the thing yeah. we have around. But um, yeah, and so the king of Moomba this year is uh, Peter Hitchener from um, Channel oh, 9. Oh, that's, that's awesome. a great choice. I know, he's a great yeah. guy. He's a great person. Very good. Great personality, and I think the queen is Fifi Box, who is oh, yeah, cool. yeah, who she's is on cool. the uh, Fox FM. But she's she's yeah. a she's a one wonderful woman as well. I've she's heard funny, her live yeah. and what, uh, radio what comedian, yeah. yeah, that's correct. Girl. Yeah, I she's like been her. on every radio yeah. station yeah. in the yeah, afternoon slot, woman, yeah. yeah, doing comedy. Yes, yeah, yeah. I like yeah. her comedy. She's funny. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Peter Hitchner, a lovely human being. He, uh, mm-hmm. um, he he's so generous that. Uh, he's been approached by different groups, including our school, to record messages from time to time. Oh, and nice. twice now he's recorded a message for our year twelves who who graduate, and they they get it oh. at the end of the year. Wow! And he's done that newscasting voice like, "Congratulations to the year twelves of this college." <laughs> yeah. Nice. Hope, hope you have a, a great life and all the best. Oh. In other news, no, he doesn't do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. In other news, I saw him once at um, he was doing a live cross from the. The cat show in Melbourne nice. from the, from the uh, old exhibition building. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It was good. I was like, oh, it's him. Look. It's yeah. him. <laughs> and, uh, Fifi Box, I remember seeing her on, what was that show that they used to have? It was like yes. a sketch comedy yeah. where they had remember. to improvise. Um, it was so funny. Oh, yeah. thank God and you're the- here. Yeah, thank God yes, you're here. Yes, That's yes, right. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yep, yeah, yep. so they'd start they'd start on their own, I think, and then yeah, yes, yeah, and then yes. have, they'd have to like other people would come in and give <laughs> yeah. them lines, and they have like to improvise. Sports type. Like theater sports, yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's it was correct. great. 
So yeah, funny. Good laughs. <laughs> yeah. I remember you doing theatre sports back in the day, Lindsay. Oh, good old, I used to love doing drama yeah. and theatre sports. I used to yeah. come and watch you do some. Yeah. It was good. That's right. It was just a, yeah, just, it was a good outlet in high school. You kind of needed yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, Horatio, yeah. I once knew you. Oh, I wasn't like that. <laughs> oh, no, not Shakespeare. Oh, okay. That kind of, oh, different kind of not theater. that kind okay. of theatre. Yeah. <laughs> I knew him well. Out, damn spot. Whoops, <laughs> 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 I said that word. Ooh, Ooh, is this a dagger I see before me, that, the yes. handle towards yeah. my hand? Um, let me clutch me. I know a little, very little bit of Macbeth. That is awesome, Caroline. Where is my Shakespeare book? We used to have it back in high school. Yeah, we did. Macbeth one year. Macbeth. Yeah. yeah. Um, did okay. Romeo and Juliet, obviously. Oh, Two Romeo houses, yeah. both alike in dignity. <laughs> in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. Very good. Yeah. I used Very to teach, nice. I used to teach um, thank you, method actor right there. Yes, yeah. uh, I used to teach um, Romeo and Juliet to you nine <laughs> years ago. That was one of the funnest things I ever did, by the way. They used to yeah. eat it up. Okay. It was so much fun. Yeah. yeah. Mac- yeah definitely, definitely. I love Shakespeare. He's so... The language. The oh, language yeah. is it's so, amazing. yeah, so, so different. So well written. Well amazing. written. Yeah. yeah. Let's yep. not mention Baz Luhrmann's modern remake of Romeo and Juliet. No, please. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Look, okay, I'm sitting on the fence there. I didn't mind it. I didn't mind. It's I guess it's different. a fun Sometimes it's pretty creative. Yeah, yeah, a bit yeah. of creative. Yeah, some, of it, yeah, some yeah. of it's a bit cringy. Like, but, um, yeah. but There's a bit creative. of cringe. There's yeah. a bit of cringe. That's true. That is true. It, it was controversial too because, mm-hmm. uh, and sorry for anyone who hasn't seen it, but yeah, I mean, you should have by now. It's about a thousand years old. <laughs> <laughs> Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet was like a, a modern yeah. remake, for those yeah. who don't know, of Romeo and Juliet. But there was a con- it was controversial. I, I don't... Uh, was it the, the death scene, right? So, you know, Romeo and Juliet, you know, kill themselves, whatever. In the play, Romeo has been dead for half an hour before yes. Juliet discovers his body. Yeah. But uh, but in the film, yeah. she she has you know he there's this like terrible you know like irony like where yes. she gets to him and he drinks the poison thinking yes. that she's already dead and then you know oh. and then they're like oh goodbye whatever and then she yeah and then I mean, she's like, like yeah. no yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. oh yeah. wow yeah. yeah don't know how I feel about that but anyway <laughs> yeah. cool cool cool. I don't yeah. even think that was the worst part, to be honest. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually didn't mind the start with the petrol station where, the, where they yeah, were going yeah. crazy. Yeah. Anyway. Go crazy. That was probably yeah. the best yeah. part. Yeah. It's actually, really strange, wasn't it? They named their yeah. um the weapons by their houses. Oh, what, yeah. What, yeah. And their that guns they sort of swords. Yeah. Their guns would have sword written swords on them. Written, so you yeah, draw your sword and they pull out a gun. Yeah. 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 I understand now. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, my favourite scene from that film, I'm getting carried away because I know we've got content to do, but my favourite scene, <laughs> it's, um, it's where Romeo and, uh, so you know, where, uh, what's it, Mercutio is Romeo's best friend, mm-hmm. and then there's Tybalt, who's Juliet's uh, cousin, and there's that cousin. confrontation, so yeah. Romeo's best yeah. friend, Mercutio, is killed, yeah. he's like, you know, he's like, oh, tis but a scratch, you know, he gets, he gets wounded, whatever, and then Romeo goes absolutely bananas, and, and they, there's this big fight between the two of them, but the confrontation was actually done pretty well in Baz Luhrmann's mm. one. I like, okay. and I actually like that scene in the whole in the in the play too. Yeah. Anyway. Well, we're going to have to watch that now, aren't we? Yeah. For no. now, in these hot days, is the mad blood stirring. No. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Romeo and Juliet oh, well. is not one of my favourite Shakespeare's, I have to say. Okay. Oh, there's better. There's better, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's, just, yeah. it's okay. just a more popular one. It, it is. It's, it's, it's I guess everybody story. loves a it's romance. Not, yeah. Yeah, but true, true, I, true. There I, are so many others which are... I yeah. didn't awesome, mind um, Mel Gibson as Macbeth. Was it Macbeth? He played oh, or yeah. Hamlet? Oh, Hamlet. That was Hamlet. Hamlet. My, my, my oh, bad. Yes, I haven't my, seen that one. Yeah. Hamlet. He would. He, he did an okay job with that. Yeah, yeah. there are a few. The, I watched the, a very old Hamlet. I think it was at Lawrence Olivier. Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. nice. Caroline. That's a classic. Nice. I love the yeah. classic nice. old ones because the drama lo- and the acting. Oh, it's just, yeah. Oh. 
Lawrence yeah. Olivier, yeah, he is yeah. one of the legendary actors. Yeah. Um, he's a great yeah. actor. Mm. Carol, I remember we went, we bought tickets once. Remember yes. the Bell Shakespeare Theatre yes, Company? They, they were did. doing, they did, uh, what did they do? King, what's King his Lear? name? King Lear, yes. yes. King Lear, oh, that was King great. Also, oh, King Henry VIII. Oh, no, 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 this was, it was King Lear, <laughs> which, which, which was brilliant. That was such a great performance. And because it was like paired right down, wasn't it? And the acting yeah. kind of showed, it the, was really up to the actors. The set was simple. The set was just lighting yes. pretty much and acting, yeah. cool. but it was just done okay. so well. Like yeah. the, uh, the, He didn't need props because no. the performance was so compelling. Oh, um, we have to do oh. that again. Uh, well, if they ever do it, yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm sure yeah. they're doing that, stuff again. Google it, guys. Yeah. Maybe there's some yeah. in Melbourne. Why not? Why not? Yeah. You're listening to the Sounds of Shakespeare yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we got there. The secrets of Shakespeare. Let us know if you love Shakespeare. Yeah. We'd love to talk Shakespeare. more about What's it. What's your favourite Shakespeare yeah. moment? Yeah, Something you didn't know about us. We like yeah. Shakespeare. We're most people. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's it. Shakespeare of Oz. Coming yeah. from Melbourne. Yeah. Bubble, bubble, toil in trouble. Okay, last story. Last story. Thanks for that. Okay, sorry. I was teaching. I was teaching Macbeth. Yeah, to some new Ted's. And uh, and it you know it, the witches have all these items that they've mm-hmm. you know like um body parts and whatever uh, you know, yeah, when yeah, they're that doing their little, their little their uh, little skull at the start. I have Newton um, tongue toad. Oh, yeah. Well, one of them oh, is a human was, hand. Yes, yes, yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. And and so I was reading it, and one of the students said to me, "Mr. Sand, where did they get a human hand from?" And I said, "From a second hand shop." <laughs> <laughs> And I was really proud of myself. Obviously. I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah, I was so Obviously. proud of myself. Sorry, yes. how just a gulp of coffee, Lindsay. You almost made me laugh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Spots of coffee all over your camera. <laughs> Sorry. So oh, cool. So yeah, cool. So bad. Shall we continue the actual program now? I actually laughed at my own joke. It was so bad. That's how bad it was. Anyway. So um, let's before we continue with what we're actually supposed to be doing. <laughs> um, if you're new to the Catholics of Oz and you're still listening, we welcome. apologize. <laughs> yeah, and if you're a Shakespeare fan, so happy to have you with us. And yes, look, we like to have a bit of fun and you know bring a bit of joy to you as you're listening as well. Um, but don't forget, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to give us a five star rating on some of these players and some positive feedback because that helps us to hear from you and also to reach new people, which is what we are all about. SQPN also hosts all of its shows on uh, on YouTube, including The Catholics of Oz. So head across there, hit subscribe, hit the bell to get new, new notifications, and when one of our episodes is released, or any of the great shows on, on uh, StarQuest, you'll get those as well. So let's begin by talking about Faith Beyond Borders. Well, I'm actually feeling rather good about this. I think we've all arrived at a very special place, eh? Spiritually, ecumenically. How do you make somebody love you without affecting free will? Welcome to my world, son. You come up with an answer to that one, you let me know. Yes, I had to work very hard to pass Latin and theology. Oh, quite. Those are, of course, the most important things. Oh, yeah. I don't see how I can. These guys come from legend. They're basically gods. There's only one god, man. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. So, Caroline and Lena, I've got two stories today that I wanted to share. One is a, a bit more um, theological, but I'm just going to do a bit of a short take on that. And there's a reason for that. And one is very, very, very practical faith beyond borders, including um, a biker priest. That's what I'm going to call him for now. Uh, but I'll start with the first one. Uh, so, Cardinal Cantal Messa is the, uh, uh, how do I describe him? 
he's the preacher of the pontifical household. So he preaches to the Pope and to um, and to some of the cardinals. Um, uh, yeah, uh, at, at certain times of the year, including during Lent, during Advent, and some other key times as well. So he does he does this preaching. So he dedicated his first um, gig for this um, to uh, to the Eucharist. And talking about how the Eucharist is part of the history of salvation, so theology would say salvation history, you know, how you know how we are saved by God, how we how we are being saved throughout history, what God has done in human history to um, to bring about the salvation of all of us. So uh, he linked that to the Eucharist, and I thought that this was a, a beautiful meditation. So I only wanted to go through a couple of points, and then I wanted to link it to another story I'm going to talk about in a moment. So, um, first of all, the story begins by saying that aside from many evils caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, there's been at least one positive effect from the viewpoint of faith. And that is, as the Cardinal says, making us aware of our need for the Eucharist and the emptiness that the lack of Eucharist that we'd experienced has created. So, in his sermon, he invites Christians to rediscover the Eucharistic wonder, because every little progress in the understanding of the Eucharist translates into progress in the spiritual life of the person and of the whole church community. So his main points that he's, he's pushing in his, in his sermon is for us to continue to rediscover and renew our dedication to the Eucharist and also what the Eucharist means, what it does for us, because it will, uh, what he says is it will increase our spiritual life. It will increase our, our, uh, our relationship with God and give us a, a deeper connection to the church community and also unite the church community in a, in a much, much stronger way. So he notes that speaking on the Eucharist in the time of pandemic and now also in the context of war, and he's referring to the war in Ukraine, which, by the way, we all of our prayers at the moment for that terrible situation. He says it does not mean turning our eyes away from the dramatic reality that we're experiencing, but rather it helps us to look at these things that the the pandemic, war, all the things that are happening from a, a higher and a more Eucharistic point of view. And it offers us also a, a true interpretation of, of human history as well. So he says the Eucharist is, uh, it says coextensive, there's a nice big word, with the, um, with the history of salvation or it's linked to. So in, uh, in earlier times, uh, so the, say the Old Testament, the Eucharist is seen as a figure. You know, there are symbolic hints, you know, prefiguring of the Eucharist. And uh, in the New Testament, it's seen as an event that is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So with the Old Testament, figure could include things like, uh, it might be prefigured by things like the stories of uh, God providing manna in the desert during the, during the Exodus, or the sacrifice of Mel- Melchizedek, the sacrifice of Isaac. These all um, have sort of Eucharistic tones that hint towards a, how is God going to give God's self to us in our lives? And then, of course, Jesus with the events, something, you know, what occurred in human history. Uh, and he talks about, and this is the key thing uh, um, with uh, the Eucharist as an event in history. It's a unique event that took place once and is unrepeatable. So then in the time of the church, the Eucharist is present in the sign of bread and wine instituted by Christ. So what do we mean by saying that um, the Eucharist is unrepeatable? Because Eucharist happens every day, you know, many, many, many times around the world. Um, there is one Eucharist, and that is what Jesus did. So his, um, you know, the Last Supper, the death on the cross, and we are we are brought into that event when we celebrate Eucharist. So we're not doing a new Eucharist, a new sacrifice of Christ. We are present with the the one and only sacrifice of Christ that happens in human history. So that's what we mean when we celebrate Eucharist. So 
again, it's not a new thing that we do. It's the same thing that Jesus has always done. And we are, and we are repeating that we are doing that, um, that activity. So uh, he says here uh, in practice, the difference between the event and the sacrament he points out is the difference between history and liturgy. So uh, he says um, that St. Augustine, for example, distinguishes between two verbs to renew and to celebrate. So here's your English lesson now, guys. Uh, it says, in, uh, in this light, the mass renews the events of the cross by celebrating it. It doesn't uh, start it all over again, but it also renews its meaning as well. So we repeat Eucharist. Remember, Jesus talks about, you know, do this in memory of me. Um, not to remember Jesus, but the word um, uh, anamnesis is is like it's a living memory. It's a continuing thing that happens all the time, the, the Eucharist. So we just link ourselves back to Eucharist every time that that ritual of Eucharist is celebrated in our Mass. So therefore, in history, there was only one Eucharist, the one carried out by Jesus with his life and death. On the other hand, according to history, thanks to the sacrament, there are as many Eucharists as have been celebrated and will be celebrated until the end of the world. So through the sacrament of the Eucharist, we mysteriously become contemporaries of the event as it uh, is present to us and we at the event. So we are present at uh, the Eucharist that was instituted by Jesus, not some brand new thing that's been invented at the mass that we're going to. So there's some heavy theology. Any, any headaches yet? Are we all good so far? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're good. All good. We're good. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. yeah. So, and the key thing, and this is why it's so important to understand this, and again, Going back to the main point, the Cardinal is saying our, uh, our understanding of Eucharist needs to continually be deepened. And understanding this point that there was only one Eucharist that we renew and, and re-celebrate is so important because it, it shows what we're actually unifying ourselves around. We're not unifying ourselves around a Eucharist in Dufton at our local parish that has just been created by, the, you know, by our parish priest. We are uniting ourselves around Christ's Eucharist that he has already instituted the, the one and only um, that, that happens, you know, in, in human history. And that's what we're actually present at, is a, as at Christ's Eucharist, not a, a new one. So let's put that aside, uh, because, because what really got me excited, and I know that we've been on this bandwagon, or at least I have for the last couple of weeks, is he talks about the link between the liturgy of the word, you know, scripture, and Eucharist as well. So he noted that in the earliest days of the church, the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist were not separated in the same place and at the same time. And this is because the early disciples were Jewish. So they would go to the temple and listen to the word so that the word of God was proclaimed in the temple. So they'd be reciting Psalms, prayers, and so on. Then they would go home afterwards and they would gather for the breaking of the bread or Eucharist. We know that early Eucharist was done in a, in a household setting. Uh, however, when there was hostility towards um, Jewish Christians and they were no longer allowed to worship in the temple, the reading of scripture and the celebration of Eucharist became one. So it became this this one liturgy that, that they did together. So now today, the benefit that we have is that whenever we hear scripture, it gives context to the Eucharist that we're about to receive. So when we hear the, you know, the, the readings from the Old Testament the reading from the gospel about Jesus uh, should also the reading from the new, the, the new Testament as well. So the first, second reading, and then the, um, and then the, the, um, the gospel, we should pay attention to what we hear and how the priest is breaking it open for us to understand, because that will inform our approach to Eucharist at that particular mass. How is God calling us to know God in that particular time and moment? And 
our priests, if they, you know, if they're preaching well, and I'm pretty sure most of them do, uh, will will give us an approach on that particular day. You know, what what is it um, that the Word of God is calling us to do in our understanding of God? And then when we approach God at Eucharist, where should our hearts and minds be? What what attitude should we adopt as we as we commune with Christ in this one and only sacrifice that He's done for all of human for all of humankind for all of history? So. He says on the word of God that the Bible, the words of the Bible being spoken and the stories being retold at mass are relived uh, in, in the way that what is remembered from scripture becomes real and present at this time today. We're not only hearers of the word, but we're also called to put ourselves in the place of the people in the story. So when proclaimed during the liturgy, scripture acts in a way above and beyond explanation and mirrors how the sacraments act. The divinely inspired texts have a healing power and, it, uh, and has led to some epoch-making moments in the course of history of the church as a direct result of listening to the readings of the Mass. So he gives the example, the Franciscan movement began in Assisi when a newly converted young man and his friends went to church and the gospel of the day was Jesus saying to his disciples, take nothing for the journey, neither walking stick, nor sack, nor food, nor money, and let no one take a second tunic. So here's the key thing. When we hear the word of God, what is it calling us to do? When it's been broken open by our priest in the homily, what is it calling us to do? Then we offer our gifts in the bread and wine. That's the, so the offertory procession. That's the work of human hands. That's our gifts being offered to God, which God accepts in the Eucharist, transforms it into himself as the person of Jesus. So the, the bread and wine are no longer bread and wine, but they are Jesus himself is given to us as a gift through Eucharist. And then we are given the grace, the power, the, um, the motivation to go and act out the word that we've just heard from, from, um, from Scripture and from the priest breaking it open for us. So I wanted to leave it there because there's actually more that the, um, that the Cardinal says, and I've got a link to that in the show notes that you can read. The one point I will make, though, is that he talks about all of this being the work of the Spirit. So how is the Holy Spirit motivating us um, and, and when we listen to the word of God, we have to just make sure that we allow the Holy Spirit to help us to understand so that we don't twist the words of God in, into what we want it to say, but we let scripture say what it has always tried to say to us. So our interpretation of scripture, we have to be open to God uh, telling us uh, what scripture is saying to us rather than twisting it into us thinking we know what it is and it only means this. Are we okay so far? Mm-hmm. Good. Lovely. Yeah. Lovely. yeah. Let me say All right. So I wanted to now take that theology and, uh, and, and ground it because this is the key thing. It, it's great to have all, all this theology in the church um, that informs how we understand our faith and, and our attitude towards it. But how are people living it? What are they actually doing? And this, uh, this uh, segment is called Faith Beyond Borders because we always try and talk about examples of people who have shared their faith in some kind of way that might go beyond just the ordinary where, where possible. So I wanted to highlight a priest from the Archdiocese of Melbourne, Father Jeff Mc, McElroy. And this, uh, this article that I'm reading from Melbourne Catholic will be also in the show notes. There's a link there. But it starts off by saying that Father Jeff McElroy is a man with a big heart who is most at home with those on the fringes of society and on the back of his Harley Davidson. The 59-year-old parish priest of St. McCartan's Parish in Mornington is no stranger to life on the edge. Having rebelled against his parents and abandoned his Catholic faith for at least 20 years, 
before allowing the seed of God's love to grow and flourish. So what we have here, guys, is a, a Melbourne priest who loves Harley Davidsons and preaching the word of God. So this this is a and what we'll see as we go through is a person who's listened to the word and and he's trying to act out the word that he's heard and um, as eucharistically as possible. So it says here that he became a priest at the age of fifty three in the in the Archdiocese of Melbourne. And uh, he was recently appointed as one of seven vocations promoters charged with the mission to help support priests and parishes in the South, which is kind of like a bit of our region, to pray for and encourage vocations to the priesthood and religious life. As priest and promoter, he hopes to share the transformative power of God's mercy and the love and joy of Christ, which has been at the heart of his ministry. So it starts off by talking about this. It's got a byline here. What do I want to do with my life? It says here that he grew up in Keysborough, a very familiar suburb to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Never yeah. far from yeah, us. Yeah, yeah literally true. what a twenty-minute drive. Twenty-minute drive yeah. from us. Yeah. Um, and having arrived in Australia at the age of five with his English-born parents and sister in 1968, as a family, they were heavily involved in their local parish life. And throughout his early years, he was an A-grade student and captain of his chess team. He was often the ducks of his class, and, and as he says here, he was somewhat a nerd. He explains by the age of 16, that, he, um, however, that he discovered girls, alcohol, and drugs, and started to rebel against his family. He bought a motorbike and became, as in his words, an easy rider, enjoying the freedom and lifestyle that it afforded. He then left school. He was kicked out of home and stopped practicing his faith. So being homeless and sometimes living in halfway houses, he worked in factories and hospitality and had a stint as a musician. It says that he tried everything until he eventually enrolled in university where he gained a qualification as an industrial chemist. So then he worked 25 years professionally in in this, nationally and internationally, and his business success afforded him the continued ownership of his beloved Harley Davidson motorbikes. Notice it says in plural there now. Uh, So, yeah. (laughs) So he recalled that throughout this time, he was constantly asking himself, what do I want to do with my life? So notice that he had everything, uh, yet he was still... Uh, we talk about that God-shaped hole that, that St. Augustine talks about. So there was this gap in his life. If he, you know, After 25 years in his career, he's still asking, what do I want to do with my life? So this question changed following an opportunity he had to help his very sick young sister, um, whose, uh, uh, whose name was Susan, who he said developed in me a servant's heart. He said, no longer was it about me. It was about how I could help her. And that led me back into the church after 20 years absence. And it changed my question to, Lord, what can I do for you? That was a turning point for me because no longer was I looking at what I wanted to do, but rather, Lord, what can I give to you? So he returns to his faith and to going to mass and questioning how he could be of service to to God. He started volunteering in nursing homes and joined a range of faith-based prayer groups. He also ran a halfway house on his property for drug and alcohol offenders and a Christian counseling service. And he said, to me, faith is practical. I'm not a book reader and one to theorize about faith. I need to do something. Yes, I pray, but my faith must be active. Faith is a verb. So he says that his relationship with God deepened in this time. He started praying for direction. And when considering how to be most effective as a Christian, he started watching people intently. He volunteered to go on mission with a Baptist community, which focused on the Word of God, <clears throat> Scripture, just to, as we were talking about before. Um, I was amongst evangelists and missionaries, and I was always watching to see how they communicated their faith and brought it to life. And then the answer came to him, however, by the way of a priest who attended his sick father's bedside in a hospital to administer the last rites. It was a moment that he'd never forget. My father was suffering, and I didn't want him to die. 
But to see the priest bless and anoint my father was so beautiful. That stayed with me. And then I realized that I loved inviting people to pray and to open their hearts to the Holy Spirit. I wanted to foster in others a relationship with the Lord because I knew how it affected me and I wanted that for them too. So then he said that he felt that, um, that, he, that he was filled with more enthusiasm and felt this call to follow Christ. He said, Christ is the one who led me to where I am today. I, am a, I had a willingness to want to follow Christ and to say yes. Uh, having spoken to the vocations director at the time, Father David Cartwright, he was advised to go on a spiritual rec- retreat. And he said that in the 12 months of that time, he felt his faith grow exponentially stronger and, uh, and he, his love of the Lord deepened. And he wanted to go wherever God, God would lead him. So uh, then he, uh, he, he said that um, he entered seminary at the age of 48. He was concerned about what he described as his checkered history, but he believed that he was able to answer God's call at this time uh, due to his heart being open and ready. So now he's a parish priest in the, in the Archdiocese of Melbourne and, he's, and he supports vocations. And he said, to me, it's about sharing how to recognize God's call for you. From baptism onwards, we're all part of God's family. And every one of us has a unique role to play in God's master plan. We're all different pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, each with a different role to play. And if one of us isn't playing our role, then a piece of the jigsaw is, is missing. I especially want young people to know that they're all part of God's master plan, that they're all unique and perfect in their own way. That doesn't mean to say that we're all perfect in our mannerisms or in what we do, say or do, but rather we're unique and perfect in who we are. There is no other you in the world. And so he said he uh, particularly loves to listen to young people, paying attention to the questions that they don't ask. It's all about letting them feel comfortable to ask those questions that are deeply connected to their heart, to really get to know their own spirituality and to to themselves uh, and open themselves up, he said. God does the converting, not us. We're there to prepare them, to help them open their hearts and to be honest and real with themselves and to really trust in the Lord and letting him work with uh, work within them. That's what this is all about. And I'd say, don't ever be afraid to follow that deep call. Your faith and spiritual and spirituality will, will enrich everything else in your life. Whether you're called to be a diocesan priest or religious or a single person or a married person, faith is integral no matter what you do. Um, and lastly, uh, they uh, they asked about you know. So he was then asked about his uh, his motorbike. Uh, and, think, and his Harley Davidson, and he said, uh, "Today you're just as likely to find Father Jeff on the back of his whiskey amber Harley. It's a, apparently it's a heritage softtail classic, 1700 cc. I have no idea what that means, but it must be good. <laughs> yeah, <nice. laughs> um, sounds all right. Yeah, um, and he's also on the local streets of Mornington um, and surrounds, as you would uh, in his local parish church. He feels at home uh, with those who are on the edge, who dip their toe but don't jump in all the way." His Harley is part of his ministry, giving him street creds among people that, he, uh, that might not otherwise encounter. He says, I had a priest ask me once, how can the Harley be a ministry tool? I said, well, whoever gets on the back with me suddenly learns how to pray. And, yeah, which <laughs> I thought funny. was a great line. Yeah. Um, and lastly, he says, I'm a vehicle for the Lord's forgiveness through the sacrament of reconciliation, through his blessings and grace and through his mercy. It's such a privilege every time I have the opportunity to go out there and help. People often wonder about all the things I gave up in being a priest, but there's not one thing that I had left behind that I miss or regret. I only think of all the things I've gained and everything is pointing forward because that's where Christ leads me. And I thought that that story just links so beautifully with, um, 
with what we talked about, about being nourished by the word, about the word helping us to become more Eucharistic, to understand the Eucharist, and then to take all of that and turn it into action. And without our even deliberate planning, all the stories that we've come across with Faith Beyond Borders have all been about scripture and faith turning into action. So I'm really grateful that this little piece of providence has come across, uh, you know, across my, my reading recently, and I'm really, really happy to share his story. So Caroline, what are your thoughts on uh, scripture living Eucharistically or <laughs> a, a priest who was a late vacation who rides a, rides a motor, motorcycle around to, um, to evangelize? Goodness, where to start? That was yes. amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so, so much, so many points you could pick out to speak about um, in all of that. But I guess I, the thing that, a couple of things, it's like, um, what do I want to do? Or what does God want me to do? What What am I going to do now? <laughs> like, what, what am I going to do with my life? What does God want me to do with my life? And I think that's a question that, that we ask all the time. Well, I do, definitely. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, am I doing sure. what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I following the right path? Am I doing God's will? Mm. Um, am I doing what God wants me to do with the life that he gave me? And I think, you know, it doesn't always have to be an amazing thing that you're doing, you know, just live your life and, and, and live it in prayer and, you know, if, you know, with all the teachings, um, People need help, help them, you know, and, and all of that kind of thing. And I love that, um, you know, I, I, I feel like if you keep praying, what do you want me to do? You'll be, you'll be answered. Like mm. it's not always <laughs> in the way you want to. Sometimes it's, it's something you didn't expect. But, um, but if you ask him, he'll give you what he wants you to do. And it may not be the only time. It may not be the only thing. Maybe later on in life, there's something else that he wants you to do, you know. So um, I think we, if on reflection, if we have a look at our lives and go, oh, yeah, maybe that's the thing, you know, that I prayed for. And he's given me this special task that I am doing in my life. Um, and and on, on the priest, I love a lot of priests. I mean, most priests are great, you know, great people and and you know, the ones that start from, you know, when they're young, they feel the calling and they're so fervent and, you know, and they love their job. But I love the priests too who've had a bit of life experience first. Mm. True, yeah. that and, is true. Mm. And they've done everything and they're like, hang on a minute, I think I want to be with God. I want to do what God wants me to do. And so apart from all the, the learning the education, the priestly education, they also have the background of living a life that may not have been perfect beforehand and they offer so much because they've been there, they've done that and and they can offer advice and, you know, and, you know, tying in with theology and all of that, like you were saying, Lindsay, and um, you just, you're, you know, they're able to relate to people on that level, on the ground level that, yeah, I've done that. And, you know, this is what I learned from it. And, and here's, here's how I can help you through this situation. So um, that's, yeah, that's amazing. I, I just love that, you know. I think we can think of a few, few priests that we love that, that have been there, done that, and they've had a complete 180 and they've just uh, changed their life completely. And, um it's really inspiring. It's really inspiring. Um, it's a good example to all of us, you know. How can we do something? Is there something we can take from that? You know? Yeah. 
So, definitely, yeah, definitely. Awesome, Linz. <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's not, you know, he hasn't got a big internet presence and a massive Facebook following, you know, a big Instagram, you know, influencer or anything like that. He's just a, a guy who loves his motorbikes and, and has a love for the word of God and wants to and wants to share the Catholic faith in that way. And and, and his particular, you know, audience, are, like as he mentions, people on the fringes, the ones that we don't see in our churches often, or as he describes, those who dip their toes, you know, they're, they're sort of in and out. And he's and you're ready to listen to them. That's it. And I reckon there'd be people who go, oh, maybe I'm not good enough or, you know, to come to church or they won't accept me, you know, in church. But but um, someone who can is relatable, like I said, who's been there, done that, can really help people to say, no, you are accepted. Jesus wants you. Jesus came for you. Come, you know, come to church and, and let's explore this together and help them to feel loved and welcomed, you know. Yeah, and the number of times I've heard that too, that oh, I'm just not good enough to go to yeah. church. Yeah. yeah. That self-doubt that people have. It's, let's yeah. say, let's, it's a few of them Let's out clear there. this thing up. Yeah. No one goes to church because they're good. Yeah, none of us are. Sorry, <laughs> we don't go yeah. to church because yeah. we're good people. Yeah. We go to church because we need Jesus. Because yeah. we need exactly. him to guide us in life so that we can go to heaven at the end of this life and be with him. That's why we go. We go, yeah, we just want to, we fall on God's mercy because we know that we just can't do it on our own. I mean, there's so many things that we're gifted with and enabled to do, but, uh, but God is the missing piece. And and we just happen to, you know, to have realized that, and, uh, and and we want that, that, that missing piece in our lives because we know how much more enriching God is for, you know, for our, our lives and what it, what it means. That's it. Yeah. Lido, what are your thoughts on any of this? <laughs> I've gone through quite a few things, but any thoughts that, um, <laughs> that you wanted to share about any of these, um, about Scripture, Eucharist, Father McIlroy, anything else? Well, it will be interesting. Do we know which parish he belongs to, Lindsay? Yes. Um, just a minute, because my mouse has to wake up. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Saint, wow. St. <laughs> McCartan's okay. Parish in Mornington. Okay. All right. Maybe we'll, we'll a bit of a drive down there, or a motorcycle ride. Down there to the, yeah, um, let's get on motorcycles, yeah, or a scooter ride, <laughs> scooter, <laughs> scooter ride, yeah. and check it out. Check, um, yeah. check the um, pa- well, not only the parish, but the um, yeah, get it. Oh, there you go. Oh, that's interesting, Caroline. Yes, why not? <laughs> why not? Well, can we get contact with him and ask Maybe. for the interview? Yeah, we'll see how we go. Yeah, and that look, would be it, fun. that'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. He sounds, you know. Um, and like Caroline said, you know, going to mass and everything. Yeah, we're not going to mass just being good. <laughs> we're there to make ourselves um, closer to the Lord, and um, in a sense, make make ourselves um, better in within ourselves. And like the great thing was that question, you know, Lord, um, what what do I do with my life? That is like, oh, what's the, what they say is top five questions of our faith, you know. What do we do? What, what, what can I do with my life, Lord? And um, it's great to see this um, parish priest um, guiding the people through that and everything. So yeah, yeah, that's that's so awesome. Um, um, uh, we were I think we we're talking offline, offline, yeah, off air, and we we're talking about a a group of bikies who used to come to our uh, high school. And I think it was, I think they were called the God Squad. I'm not 100%. <laughs> it's sure definitely it was not. Yeah. I, I don't think it was the Hells Angels. No. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think yeah, it would have been somehow. Yeah, no, no, I just think yeah. a Catholic just, school would have been going to come Wrong gospel, wrong gospel. I'm just saying, you know, they may have just you know, ridden past our, um, <clears throat> our, our school. But anyway, yeah, I think there was a, um, a group of um, 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 bikers who used to, used to come to our parish. I mean, not parish, our high school, sorry. 
Again, what was it called? What was it? Gideon's the Bible? The Gideon Bible, yeah. Yes, Gideon yeah. Bible, you know, and, and just just chatted with us, you know, talked to us about what we're, what they were been through and everything like that. And that was interesting, actually. That was interesting. It, it, a priest who rides a motorcycle but preaches the word of God? Yeah. Why not? And there's a photo of him uh, on the article, if anyone wants to have a look at it later, but um, he's got his, got his you know, clerics on, so, you know, black shirt with the, the white collar. Then he's got a Harley Davidson vest, leather vest over the top. And then on the vest are all the different patches that say pray, there's a cross, there's That's angel awesome. wings, all these, yeah, um, yeah. All these, yeah. So really, uh, really good to see. All right. So, um, and you know what, Father, Father Jeff is doing in his unique way. And I think just having listened to the two of you, I think we're just so grateful for our priests who do their ministry in their own unique way. And we're so grateful because I have no doubt it is not an easy job to, or a vocation to be a priest. It, it's very challenging. And they've had a very challenging couple of years with uh, with COVID and everything else. But well, definitely, I, yeah, yeah. I don't think the challenges are going to stop after COVID. So, um, so much gratitude to our priests, religious nuns, everyone who's uh, who's picked up a vocation where their life is solely dedicated to God, and they're they're doing this work of evangelization. Yeah. So, oh, I was just, I was yeah, just thinking about um, guys. Sorry, that um, line of um, his his um, was it his life. And what he's been through, it sort of reminded me of um our friend um Peter Comensoli. He used to love to surf, you know. He loved to you know do everything on the normal thing like a teenager would do. He 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 found about um well, I don't know if he had a girlfriend, but anyway, but that's beside the point. You know what? <laughs> Not I mean? a question we're going to pose to him. Yeah, yeah, well, soon, like, so, you yeah. know what I mean? He, he was, <laughs> you know, you got to do I'm sure he had. lived a normal life. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He was really into all on the other side of the, uh, other side of life and enjoying it. But then, yeah, the, the calling he had. Well, yeah, you know, he big, said big on print. this show, yeah. and yeah, he said mm, God mm. got me. Remember that? That was yeah, his exactly. Thing. Yeah. That's yeah. what. I was yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. That's right. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Grateful for his vocation as well. And friend of the show, we should add. We like to say that. He, he that already. <laughs> I can bring it up. 2022. Yeah. All right. So with that in mind, uh, are there any inspiring priests that you know, that those of you who are listening, share with us? Because if there's a story that should be told, we want to put it out there. Well, definitely um, Father Michael Papapilli from our uh, he parish. Was, yeah. Um, our sad tears. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we, we should mention him. We have yes. to mention we yeah. him. Father Michael uh, Papapilli, our parish priest of three years, is now moving on to, because he's a religious order priest, so now mm. he's... Uh, He's moving to a retreat center in Colombo and Sri Lanka. Colombo and Sri Lanka. Yep. Yeah, and yeah, we've now yeah. welcomed Father Father John Prince as our new parish priest. Now that is something I have to talk to our Archbishop about. He calls him Father Prince. Can we get a vote, guys, and maybe go on Twitter or anything? Is it, <laughs> would you prefer Father John or Father Prince? I like I, saying Father Prince. That's awesome. I like Father John. I you get two titles in one: Father Prince. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good one, Caroline. Okay, yeah. he's right. got two titles. Yeah, or Prince John. No, but <laughs> yeah, Father Prince no, John. Yeah. yeah, I think it's okay yeah, because All right. generally, okay. I like that. Look, generally, the way that it's always been is we say, you know, that the, their first name. So, yeah. you know, Father, yeah. you know, Michael, yeah, whatever Father else. John or Father, Father Michael. Prince just mm. seems to have stuck, though. I don't know why that, yeah. People just, like it. I think people like it. I've been thinking like about it. this, yeah, but okay. it just stuck. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. People like it. That's it. Mm. <laughs> Father John Prince. And, and I, like that that name, I like that one. I like yeah, that one. Despite okay. that name, he is very humble and down to earth. Mm. He's, he's he definitely yes, not yes, like, you know, I'm Father Prince, kiss my hand. He's nothing like that. No, he's That's why it's more fun. Yes. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, let's, um, thanks for that chat. Uh, we've managed to talk about this segment without getting to Shakespeare, so let's stay on a roll <laughs> let's, and move on. And uh, now we're going to talk about science. Ah, what a fine day for science. You have any hobbies? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. 
Can you reverse the polarity? I'll do my best. So, Caroline, we've got a uh, we've got a couple of topics today. So, you've got one, and I've got one that I'm gonna I'm gonna try and work my way through. I hope <laughs> it's a bit of fun. But, Caroline, start us off and tell us about uh, Dolly the dinosaur, which sounds like a kids show, by the way. <laughs> reveals evidence of respiratory infections in sauropods. Over to yes. you, Caroline. Yeah. So, have you felt a bit sniffly lately? Getting yes. back into you know <laughs> no lockdowns and re you know getting in touch with people again and getting all the colds and flus that are going around again. Can I just say, yes. I haven't been sick, right? Yeah. But just being around people, I feel like I'm sick, like I've got a cold. <laughs> oh, I don't know what's going on there. It's like oh, I look no. at a person, like, it's like, you know, a person walks yeah. one centimetre past my yeah. face and I'm like, oh, is that a scratchy throat? Or yes, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. what lockdown has done to us. That's what it's yeah. done to us. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I bet there's some science behind that as well. Yeah. <laughs> Broken so, psychology, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So you get the sniffles sometimes. Did you know that poor dinosaurs living about 150 million years ago had the sniffles as well? Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So an 18 meter long dinosaur named Dolly, um, who was a species related to a diplodocus, um, she lived about 150 million years ago in southwestern Montana. Um, her bones, her fossilized skull and neck bones were found in 1990 and um, they've been um, studied and it was found that three of her neck bones were um, analyzed and found to have like broccoli shaped growth on her vertebrae. And she she was estimated to about 15 to 20 years old when she died. Um, the so these broccoli shaped growths were lesions and they were on her fifth, six and seven vertebrae. And this is consistent with a chronic lung and upper uh, respiratory uh, condition. And the fact that there were lesions, it indicates that um, her illness, her respiratory illness was so severe, it caused a secondary infection. You know, like when you get a cold and then for some reason after you're so run down you get a bacterial infection or something and you have to take antibiotics so that's the secondary infection so the first seven vertebrae in her neck would have connected to her lungs and other parts of her respiratory systems and they contained air sacs um, the broccoli shaped growths or the the lesions protruded by, by about one centimeter from the vertebrae she would have when she had this illness, you know, like everyone else, she would have been suffering from fever, br labored breathing, a cough, and would have had a runny snout. Poor oh. thing. Can you imagine a dinosaur sneeze? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness, it'll be Not so loud. Yeah. Yeah. Not the snout okay. part, but I can relate to everything else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Scientists aren't exactly sure what caused the illness, but it could have been bacterial or you know, viral or fungal. And it's thought that the environment at that time would have been quite humid, so it could have been quite easy to catch something, you know, there would have been, you know, a little bit of mould or fungi in the air or some bacteria happily living and, you know, viruses have been around for a bazillion years as well. Yeah. So When you, when you um, said fungi, I was waiting for Lena to crash a, a crack a mushroom. Uh, joke no, no, yeah. I'm not going to say anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I wanted to acknowledge that we were thinking that. <laughs> um, they're not sure if... Dolly died from the illness, but um, 
they know that she had the chronic infection from her um, fossilized vertebrae. Um, I'll just read you a little bit from this article because it's it's pretty um, it's a good explanation. So. Um, Carrie Woodruff, a paleontologist at the Great Plains Dinosaur Museum in Montana, had seen other anomalies in sauropod vertebrae before but had never seen anything like this. Um, She took to social media to ask other colleagues about the abnormal growths and got immediate responses from other avian and reptile experts who compared the marks to an illness seen in reptiles and birds alive today called air sacculitis, which describes inflammation in the air sacs caused by viruses or bacteria. Um, from CT scans and comparison to other diseases, diseased animal bones, the researchers suspect air sacculitis was a respiratory response to bacterial or fungal infection like chlamydia, chlamydiosis and aspergillosis, which later caused an infection in the neck bones. These respiratory infections are seen in birds and reptiles today and can lead to bone infections. And also another interesting fact, sauropods are more closely related to birds than other dinosaurs, and researchers suspect that they share similar anatomical traits like their complex respiratory systems. So that's um, pretty interesting. Wow. So, you know, we know that birds most likely descended from the dinosaurs and, you know, reptiles, you know. So um, it's just amazing that we can um, see this kind of thing in dinosaurs and recognize it from today's, you know, animals. Um, the, the discovery of Dolly's um, lung condition isn't the first, but it's the oldest ever found in a non-avian dinosaur. Um And it was outlined in a paper um, published in the journal Scientific Reports in February 10th this year. Previously, dinosaurs have discovered a fossil of T-Rex, which became infected with a parasite and died. And they found that one in 2019. And they've also found a marine animal that lived about 245 million years ago that had tuberculosis and so they're able to find these amazing things they've also found cancers and gouts and obviously injuries that um dinosaurs have um sustained you know through fighting or falling or whatever so isn't that amazing um something that lived so long ago we can actually do an investigation like a cold seat cold crime scene or something and and actually you know actually decipher what what illness they died from. So um, I just thought that was super interesting and, you know. It was I, bit... I actually felt sorry for that dinosaur. Yeah. I just wanted to get them a lemon tea, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I just, it's it's something that you don't think about, honestly. Like, you know, when you talk about dinosaurs and how they lived, what they ate, how big they got, you know, yeah. how old what they were. What they exactly looked like. And, yeah, yeah, what they looked right, like yeah. and did they have feathers or didn't they have feathers <laughs> or you know, how big were their yeah. teeth. You never really think... Oh, the Did poor they ever things. get a cold? Yeah, a cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Oh, and there flu, was no, but... <laughs> no one really to look after them, to give them medicine or whatever. They just had to suffer through it and they either lived or didn't. 
So yeah, and can I just point out this segment is not viral marketing for Universal Studios for Jurassic World Three Dominion. Just <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Wow, yeah. Caroline, I can't believe all those went flu and not flu. Sorry, I keep on saying that cold and everything. Way well, they back could in have those had flu. I mean, they're not sure if it what yeah, it came from. Poor so. things. Yeah, oh, it's like, you know, poor dinosaurs. I know. <laughs> We, we we worry about our pets here. Well, of course we do. Of course we do. And you think, yeah, you're having a dinosaur. Hey, a dinosaur all of the sneezes on you. Oh, my goodness, man, they'll be so big. But the poor things, yeah. That scene from uh, from the original, speaking of Jurassic Park. <laughs> yes. And this is not viral yes. marketing, but the, 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 the Brachiosaurus where it sneezes on the kid. Remember? That's right. Wow. I was trying to remember. I did see yeah. that. That's and I was correct. trying to remember yeah. which, where yes. I saw that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, well, Caroline, I'll, I'll have a go now. We're, there's a, another article that we, we thought we'd share. Yeah, um, I'm interested in this one, right. actually. So I'll do the short <laughs> yeah. version of this because, <laughs> because it's pretty technical as well. <laughs> uh, so uh, moving to outer space now, I found this great article on space.com. Could we really build Star Trek's USS Enterprise? Just how close are scientists to building you know, a Constitution-class starship. So let's have a look at this. Um, so it, first of all, it was launched from the mind of Gene Roddenberry in the 1960s, and it was the, the familiar ship that we all knew and loved from Star Trek, the original series, and right through the movies, and right through all these different iterations of Star Trek. Um, so the, the, uh, the ship in Star Trek is called a Constitution class. This is the, we're going with the original series one as our, mm-hmm. our, our standard okay. here, right? Okay, so, yep, and, okay. Yep, and it was launched in the year, 2245 in Star Trek, not in our time, right? So <laughs> well, is, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if it would take that, that long to build it, wouldn't it, Linz? No. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, who, yeah, I don't know, who knows? It's, uh, the problem is I wasn't there, so... <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, so in, uh, in this timeline, so we're not going with the Kelvin universe for all the nerds out there, all right? Oh, sorry, for all the fans, I should say. Um, so it, uh, it was built in space as opposed to the Kelvin universe one, which is built on land. So that's just J.J. Abrams' brain, don't worry about that. Um, but it was built in, built in space. And uh, it was a feat of fictional engineering. It's estimated that it would weigh around uh, so something over four million tons. It would house a crew of about four hundred and thirty people. And in comparison, the heaviest man-made object to venture into space is the International Space Station, which is four hundred nineteen tons. So nothing really. Um, so it says here, however, China is reportedly researching the possibility of constructing a colossal spacecraft that measures up to 0.96 kilometers in length. Whereas the um, the International Space Station is only 110 meters long, so this if China did this, it would be something massive. Yeah, so um, engineers still have 233 years, according to this article, to make this to make the USS Enterprise a reality. So we've got a bit of time, but I'd just say don't leave it to the last minute, all right? So just yeah, <laughs> yeah. If we want to make something that's a bit Enterprise-like, so um, the main role of this ship was to um, explore strange new worlds. You know, uh, we know the uh, you know, we go boldly yeah, go where to boldly go where no one has gone, no man's before, gone yeah. before. You know, go on diplomatic missions and so on. Um, but to to assist in their journey, the Enterprise um, was equipped with an array of advanced sensors and scanners. So before, for example, going to a foreign planet, you know, beaming down to a new world, the crew first of all flipped a few switches. It, has, it says here and scans the planet for life signs and you know pathogens and you know to find out if uh you know if the atmosphere was correct you know, is it m class you know all that, yeah all that kind of stuff yep um amazing how many m class planets they found but yeah it's great. yeah, yeah really, i yeah, story every so week true. so fair enough yeah so um sensors are a pretty handy gadget to have 
Um, but they may seem unrealistic. However, scientists are one step closer to making this technology a reality. And Caroline, this is where you might need to chime in. All right, so here we go. Researchers have discovered that the biochemistry of all life forms interact with light in a way that inorganic or artificial materials don't. For example, when light hits a long chain of carbon molecules that make up amino acids, it becomes circulatory, circulatory polarized. This means it travels in either clockwise or anti-clockwise spirals. So scientists could theoretically observe and identify this light interaction in the hopes of discovering new life forms from observatories of spacecraft, um, such as the Enterprise, <laughs> or from future space-based telescopes, such as the Large UV Optical Infrared Surveyor, or Levoir as it's called. We might do a, an episode on that later on. Uh, one of the most um, other iconic abilities of the Enterprise is to travel at warp speed. And I think we've actually done a, a thing on warp drive before. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, I was about yeah. to text you, poor Caroline, did you, you did that warp theory uh, yeah, attempting to explain warp difficult. drive. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, I didn't want to. I not she wanted to go through that again, would she? <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. 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 Okay. The, um, okay. The the basic way that they describe it here um, is that first of all, we don't have anything that's anywhere near being able to replicate a warp drive, um, and the the um, the theory behind it, the research into it, started around the early 1990s. And considering that Star Trek started in the 1960s, it took them a while to get themselves into gear. But anyway, we'll forgive them for that. They're, again, they've got a couple of hundred years, so you know, let's they've started it. So to achieve a speed faster than light, physics' uh, natural speed limit, theoretical physicist uh, Miguel Alcubierre, sorry about that, proposed that we uh, might bend the fabric of space-time. And they said space-time can be imagined as a sheet of rubber on which all matter sits, creating dips in the rubber, you know, like shapes relative to their mass. So he proposed that if space-time could be folded in front of a spaceship and then expanded behind it, the ship could travel much faster than the speed of light to achieve what we would call warp speed. So you, if you think of Star Wars, you know, they travel at light speed, or at least that's what they call it. Warp speed is going beyond that speed. So incredibly, you know, think of ludicrous speed from Spaceballs or something like that. Right? Incredibly fast. <laughs> yes. So this, um, this, bending of, yeah, sorry, this bending of space-time would theoretically continue to move in a wave and act as a conveyor belt. So it's not that the ship is traveling so fast, it's that space is moving the objects really fast. Um, so like it was on a conveyor belt. And so they, it would then be encased in what's called a warp bubble. Um, and so a warp bubble in this case would be um, a, an amount of negative mass energy um, that would facilitate this warp drive. And uh, it says it would be the equivalent mass of a massive star distributed in a ring around the spaceship. One of the limitations that we have, of course, is that we can't generate anything like that yet. So this hypothetical ring of negative mass energy would create this warp bubble, distort, distort space time and transport any spacecraft within it. So it's like a bubble carrying it at these, at these crazy speeds. Um, one way to imagine that is uh, they, the analogy they gave was imagine you're standing, you know, on a on a um, a seven four seven while it's flying, and you don't you know you know you don't get thrown to the back or the front, you know, because the because the plane is moving. You're able to walk around while it's traveling at you traveling know, at, the, speed at the same that speed. Yeah, that's yeah. It. 
so that that's kind of the theory behind that. Um, there's some other there's some other theories here about uh, about using you know matter and antimatter. Uh, you know, to create that that energy. However, the issue is we can't actually create enough antimatter yet. So um, the Fermi National Accelerator, Accelerator Laboratory, or Fermilab, which is much easier to say, can only produce enough antimatter in an hour to power one one thousandth, thousandth of a watt and would therefore need 100,000 Fermilabs Whoa, to power a single light bulb. <laughs> so, we're, so we're not quite there just yet. Yeah. So, and also, due to the fact that antimatter annihilates when it comes in contact with matter, storing it is near impossible right now because everything is made of matter. So, uh, so we have some issues there. So despite these quantum woes, researchers, research into antimatter spacecraft is still in development. One of the latest advan- advancements in antimatter propulsion is NASA's proposal for a space probe that will travel all the way to our stellar neighborhood Proxima Centauri using an annihilation accelerator. But until scientists can successfully mass-produce and store antimatter, powering a spacecraft that resembles the Enterprise is still firmly in the realm of imagination. So so we're not quite there yet, guys, but they're thinking about it. You know, I think we... I know, like, um, you know... Deep space travel is something that people want to do, but I think something more fun, like some doing something more local, local as in our solar system, it's vast. But imagine, like, say, like a scientific ship, say, like the Enterprise, but it would be slower <laughs> and something more achievable. And you could be doing scientific experiments as you travel from planet to planet. Say you do an exercise from going from Earth down to Pluto. Yes, Pluto's mm. planet. And, Definitely. Ooh, yep. and, okay. um, yeah, I heard about that. Yes. And like, imagine if you could, like this has sparked my imagination now, but say like you could go from planet to planet and like you mentioned, you know, um, using light and wavelengths and stuff to analyze um, the atmosphere, see if there's any organic chemical, um, you know, chemistry and all that sort of sort of thing. I reckon we could just like have these scientific ships going out, people doing the analysis using um, analyzers because I've got an analyzer background in my in my job. Uh, yep. So Ooh, we yeah. we yeah. Uh, measure yeah. emissions, you know, in my job. Um, so. You could either say float down or send down probes that have these analyzers and you could be analyzing in real time. Um, You could be using spectrometers from the ship, you you know, to see what kind of molecules are around and and all that kind of thing and doing that kind of analysis. And then you could be shooting down little um, probes that land on the planet, you know, depending on what planet it is and if it has a surface. And I mean, this maybe we could do um, interplanetary travel rather than deep space. And, you know, maybe from there um, we could work out, we could learn more about travel in space yes, and then course, develop yeah. these engines. They're the necessary first steps before yes. thinking about interstellar travel, yes. aren't they? Is that, I mean, is, uh, going our solar to, system. That's yeah. it. I mean, they are going to the moon and to Mars. But I reckon if you have long missions like that, you could learn so much. I think it would be so interesting. And I'm sure a lot of people put their hands up, you know, and be yeah, like, yes, will, I want to do this. Yeah, yeah. a lot It'd of people. It would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. yeah it's small steps, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. small steps, then work on it and, you know, do the experiments like you said, Caroline, and then work from that. And go. Then do we could go to deep space, but start start small. You know, of course, we to the moon and wh- whoever we can go to. But it's, it is fun to think about: can we get 
to places in deep space really fast. But you've got to be able to get back. That's the other thing. That's the other thing, yeah. Of course, it's got to be a two-way trip. It can't be one way. Yeah. Well, that's right. That's, that's, yeah. There's one thing we need to... Um, you talk about Star Trek is teleportation. Did that's or oh, that's a totally different. That's thing. a whole other thing. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, that's Willy a, Wonka, he did it like yeah. chocolate well, bar. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we need put that. the little boy in the thing, and then he came even Definitely. a little smaller boy. You know, we just, need to you just, stretched um, him out after. You should hear uh, Jimmy Aiken talking about transporters in, in Secrets of Star Trek. And <laughs> oh, the idea I have that, to watch Because, you know, basically because a, a, a transporter essentially deconstructs your body, yes. and converts yes. it to a signal, and then reconstructs it again. So. In a sense, what he likens it to, it kills you. Yes, you know, con- <laughs> converts you to to um to a signal, and then it clones you a copy of you and puts everything back in again. Yeah, oh. yeah. yeah. If it yeah, kills it you, sense. I'm not sure you'd be alive again on the other yeah. side. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, say. yeah. So, uh, fun stuff. Oh, we'll right. be quicker to get to uh, to work. Come on, guys. You know, uh, I would love to teleport up, to work. Waking yeah. up. An hour early? Why not? No, 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 no. Let's just get to work. Give us, give us a few seconds to get to work. There we could go. work anywhere in the planet on the planet, then, couldn't you? You wouldn't have to. You definitely would. You well, definitely Star would. Trek. Um, this is one cool thing that uh, Star Trek Picard and Star Trek Discovery. They've got different versions. So in Star Trek, in a recent episode of Star Trek Picard, it's not a spoiler. They're at Starfleet Academy, and there's like this, uh, like loop, like an oval thing, like person size. You walk through it, and it teleports you to wherever you're going. And then uh, Star Trek Discovery, their com badges are transporters yeah, now, yeah, so, yeah. They, so wow. they just tap it, yeah, you know, like and tap it and go wherever they need to go, like really. Tap and go, yes. That's tap yeah. and go. Tap there and go. go. It's a new kind of tap and go. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Well, fun stuff. Uh, yeah, let's good. move on now, uh, and let's talk about entertainment. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. This is not what we came here to do. No. What I'm going to do. I have a plan. You've got a plan. I have part of a plan. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? So we've got a couple little things to talk about. And Caroline, your one sounds really cool. So let's start with that. <laughs> Tell us about the Duolingo app and about learning Italian. <laughs> I bet a lot of people have already used Duolingo. It's not a new thing. But I was inspired. One, I've always wanted to kind of learn Italian because we're Maltese, Lindsay, you and I. And uh, there's quite a bit of Italian in Maltese, you know. Yes. But, and, and Italy is just a stone's throw for Maltese. It is. And genetically, we are related to Sicily. You know, if you do yes. your DNA, you'll find it, that out. So where you're... Um, yeah. you're you know you our heritage our, our ancestry no, no it's more the genetics the, no i know i was i would is it, is it because you're not so angry no or is it something different yeah huh? yeah i thought, <laughs> I thought sicilians <laughs> were very passionate they are very, yes, very, yes they are italians yeah. are general quite yeah exactly yeah the, the way they talk yeah well no, I, I, but I'm there's sorry, a whole history just... there of like uh, Itali- maltese have middle eastern and european uh genes you know genetics so um and the actual language of Malta is based on an old arabic you know it, it, actually when i watched the uh what's that the jesus film come on um, the one where they speak aramaic the whole the passion, the passion? of the christ yes. so when we watched that i could understand quite a bit of it because maltese is very you know based in that language 
But anyway, apart from that background, <laughs> or, um, uh, or the the mummy, remember the mummy and the, uh, uh, yes, the guy yes. speaking, you know, yeah, with Arabic, and we, and we yeah. but you know, he's going imshi. Yeah, so if we hear any Arabic, we can understand, you know, we can get the gist, you know. Imshi is um, like hurry up or move. That's by the it. Way. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> However, in Maltese, because we are close, quite close to Italy. Um, uh, you know, there's quite a bit of Italian in Maltese. And a lot of Maltese love to go to Sicily and, you know, come back, you know, it's just a ferry ride away, which is awesome, which we have to that do one day. A ferry, yeah, to do that. ferry yeah, ride yeah, yeah. to Sicily to another it, country. That is yeah. unbelievable. It totally is, yes. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, and then what really sparked me off by actually taking the steps to do this is my husband, so he's he's got into some tour managing and he'll be tour managing um, an artist from Italy who'll be coming here. Ah, and the, you know, there's people who speak to, obviously English is not their first language, it's Italian. So there's a little bit of a barrier there. And he said to me, oh, I've got to learn Italian. <laughs> wow. Oh, and wow. He th- his pronunciation is very cute. Like he'd be going, ciao. I'm like, it's not ciao, it's ciao. You know, yeah. <laughs> so like, it's ciao, ciao in Maltese. Yeah. Oh, oh, God, <laughs> thing. He, he's, he's cute. Anyway, yeah, um, is, is. so then I'm like, that's it. I want to learn Italian. You know, I want to do it. I'm going to do it. So, um, yeah, I thought I'll just do it very gently because I don't have a lot of time. But the Duolingo app is so fun because I just chose, you know, Italian and then they give you some exercises. And Italian is very close to French close to Spanish. So if you're familiar with those, it's not so difficult. And um, yes, yeah, so I've been having a lot of fun just doing, you know, 10 minute exercises every day. And it's amazing how much you will remember just repeating, repeating the exercises every day. And then when you're ready, you can move on to the more hard, the harder ones, like you know. Wow, and then you full conversations almost. Mm. Well, wow. it, I'm not up to full conversation <laughs> stage. I'm up to saying yeah. like "io sono una donna," like I'm a woman, you know. <laughs> I am a hey, woman. Hey, or hey. "mangio una yeah. mela," like I eat an apple. So, <laughs> it's just stuff, stuff like that. But it's good. Essential information to know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Cool. It, it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's yeah, been nice. fun for me. I've been enjoying that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great hobby to work on. So yeah. uh, we expect you to be able to speak in Italian on this podcast in the in the coming months. Okay? In a few years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> still a science segment in Italian. Oh for my goodness, Italian. what a challenge. Can, can you say those um, scientific words in Italian? You don't have oh, to yeah, say them in Italian. That, yeah. No, you don't have to say yeah. them in Italian. Not how, do you say, how do you say antimatter in Italian? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Just say antimatter. You're sauropod. Good. You're good. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sauropod. <laughs> All right, uh, Lino, what about you? Um, So far we've finished... Um, Space Force last night. It was it only eight episodes. I can't remember now, or four episodes because something happened during the series. Oh, anyway, we finished it and it was great. The ending, the guys, if you ever seen it, is like okay. They definitely have to finish it off for the next one. I so still that haven't was started. Great. Yeah, I need to get around it's to it. It's so good. It's yeah. so good. Um, and we're still watching F one. Uh, Drive to Survive. We finished the first season, and so we're going to start the second season soon and see how that goes um besides that just watching normal stuff um i must i have to make a um a mention because we were just talking about this offline again um watching no caroline was saying that she just needed to watch um what was it called um caroline was it uh take away rubbish not rubbish. Okay, I'm going to be in big, big trouble. Fast food. Uh, fast food. Fast, fast food, food shows. Yeah. Fast food shows. Oh, something something yeah, just, like just, just, 
Junk food. Rubbish might be yeah, what I junk TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Junk TV. Yeah. Junk TV. Junk TV. Yeah. Look, I, I, Look, TV is TV. Look, say we're all of them are good and some of them are bad, you know. But we're just watching a one called um, First Dates. Now, this is the Australian version, First Dates Australia. And there was like, it's, actually, I was just laughing at that. That was something we just watched. I had to put it out. It was so <laughs> funny to watch. It was too, it was so good. Um, and besides that, no, no um, this, these two weeks has been actually. Um, I'd like to do an honourable mention to the family of the Warren family, Shane yes, Warren. Yes, that, yes, that yes. Was, yeah, that was terrible. Besides, yeah. besides what's going on on the other other side of the globe because of the war, but this really shocked me. And not only that, because because of um, how young he was. Yeah, he was only 52. 52. Yes, yeah. Um, and... And it was a good wake-up call, not only for me, for a lot of the people in our age bracket, that just to uh, have a good check-up with your GP, yeah? Go to the doctor's just check-up. Because apparently he had this heart problem for a while. Even his peers and his friends were telling him, you have a little check. Look, yes, you're going to yeah. get a check. Just making sure. Just making, I'm not going to break it down. I'm just, I was just shocked when I heard about it. That's all, yeah. But yeah, definitely a, a legendary um, cricketer in his own right as well. Yes, yeah, an Australian cricketer. Yeah, yep. Um, well, mine is uh, is just a bit of Star Trek. First of all, there is one one thing. There's a couple of trailers that have come out that have excited me, and I'll do it in order, right? So the first trailer, <laughs> first trailer that excited me was uh, was uh, Star Trek New Worlds, which is the Captain Pike series. Oh so that's yes, coming out in May. So I was yes. like, oh yeah, it looks really good, and it looks like I'm hoping that they're paying a bit more attention to um, to not making it look too futuristic because there's a scene where Captain Pike is riding a horse in the snow and a very original series looking shuttlecraft flies past him. So, like, oh, thank goodness. Please, please no, pay attention to detail. <laughs> so that was really cool. Then uh, I got even more excited because the trailer for the Obi-Wan series uh, played on Now, on this YouTube is the original, now. isn't it, Lizzie? Because I've been seeing hundreds of them on there. Yeah, like, no, this is, is the real deal now. Yeah, the real deal. No, yeah. it's a real deal. Yeah, okay, this is the Disney okay. one, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, so there's some flashes of Ewan McGregor. There was some flashes of the Inquisitors who were the ones who hunted Jedi in, in between, you know, in that period between the Clone Wars and, and A New Hope. So their job was to hunt and eradicate any Jedi that were missed. Um, so it brings the tone of that era. It was a very dark era. So it was really good. And you hear, you hear Darth Vader's breathing at the very end. So there's some ominous clues there. Um, and funny enough, though, the one that really excited me, guys, is... Bosch is coming back. <laughs> so um, there's a spin-off series called Bosch Legacy. And uh, so um, basically Bosch has become sort of like a private detective um, for reasons I won't go into because it will spoil the last season. So he's a private detective now. And, it, um, you know, there's him, you know, boshing around doing the Bosch thing. <laughs> boshing um, around, yeah. I like that. And, there, and there's a couple of other characters from the, from the series as well that, you know, that he interacts with. So I actually... I actually got the most excited about that one, so I can't wait for, for that. So Bosch is coming in May, and SBS, I'm warning you. I'm, you're, I'm warning you, SBS. There, there is a rant coming if, if you muck Whoa. this up. You, you did all right with Bosch Season 5, so we're good there, right? But, but I'm just saying, right, SBS, you've been warned. You're on notice. Yeah, guys, right? you, you, guys, who are listening, you think my rants are bad? <laughs> Lindsay, Lindsay's rants? 
I can still remember it was so bad two years ago I remember ranting on the show when SBS robbed me of my yeah anyway it's in the past it's in the past it it was two lengths ago All right, I'm good now two two lengths ago I'm good I've moved past it Um, and the other thing is uh, I've been watching Star Trek Discovery and this season's been um, you know okay it's been (laughs) just like normal like nothing hasn't really it's been one of those each episode there's like a little clue to the main mystery of what's going on and then lots of emotions. That's pretty much the formula now. Clues and emotions. That's, that's, that's Star Trek Discovery. However, I was impressed with the second last episode of the season uh, where they make contact. I'll just say they make contact with a life form. I won't say any, any more about that. But what I liked was that they were actually Star Trekking the problem, which, you know, there was a lot more of that, which is really good. Good, good. Yeah. good. Um, but that's all I'll say because I don't want to spoil it because people might be watching it. And Star Trek Picard, the first episode, I loved it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Oh, my gosh. The USS Stargazer. That's all I'm going to say. You know what? But they uh, it, it felt like um, Star Trek because there was quite a bit of time on a starship doing some Star Trek-y stuff. And, <laughs> and I was like, yay, we're yeah, back. Finally. What, <laughs> yeah. what's it, what yeah. platform is it on again? I can't remember. Uh, Star Trek Picard is on Amazon for now. It's on okay. Amazon Prime. Yep. So that's yes. still there. Like I said, for now. Yeah. For now. for now. And Lino, yeah. as you ranted last last uh, time, yeah, um, it will eventually move to yeah. Paramount Plus. Mm. But we will get this season on, on Amazon, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we want to thank everyone for joining us for episode 74 of The Catholics of Oz. And before we do go, we would like to um, thank our patrons. And I had a list of patrons here. And I'm going to dig that up very, very quickly again because mm-hmm. I'm not sure where it went. So, excuse me. Here we are. I would like to thank, uh, we would like to thank Jamie N, Michael L, Tony G, Austin L, and Samuel uh, Samuel E. So, through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give, they support the Catholics of Oz and all of the other shows on StarQuest. So, if you'd like to leave us feedback, you can send your feedback to sqpn.com slash oz, where you can also see our show notes. And don't forget that SQPN has an Insiders Club newsletter, which is at sqpn.com slash about slash newsletter, where you can find out about all of your favorite shows, <laughs> including this one. And you can also find um, uh, our show um, and all of uh, SQPN's other shows on SQPN's Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media or Twitter with the handle at SQPN. And don't forget, we have our own Facebook page called at facebook.com slash Catholics of Oz, spelled O-Z, where you can discuss our latest episodes with us. You can also reach us by email at Catholics of Oz at SQPN. Dot com. Caroline, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing today. Thank you. It was fun as always. And Lido, thank you for being on the show and not ranting this time. <laughs> no, no. Thank you for having me. I won't be ranting yet, as yet, you know. But, but it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Star Trek rant yeah, will was, be, yeah, it's coming. That Star Trek rant will yeah. come soon. Yeah. I reckon around episode 80. We'll see how we go. Yeah. Oh, yeah, true, true, true. And once again, I'm Lindsay Sand, and thank you so much for listening to episode 74 of The Catholics of Oz on StarQuest. Thank you.